What does silence make you feel? When things are silent, what do you feel? Does it give you rest or does it give you anxiety? That was only like 15 or 20 seconds, by the way. And some of you were like, say something, please. Just say something, anything. Does it give you rest or does it give you restlessness? What does silence do in your life? My wife and I have, uh, in our home, we have a living room that is kind of cavernous. It's got really tall ceilings. And, so, and we also have two little girls and dog and uh, lots of noise. And so when the girls start talking and getting loud and the TV's going and stuff, it's just like, ah, it drives you crazy. And a few years ago, my wife, in her brilliance, um, she suggested, hey, when we're watching something on TV, please just hit the mute button during commercials. Because, you know, they turn commercials up so that they'll get your attention. Have you ever noticed that? All of a sudden, the commercial's so much louder than the show you're trying to watch. She said, just hit the mute button when the commercials come on. So we started doing that. And I'm telling you, she was right. Because we'd hit the mute button, it would just be like this. Oh, wait. It's just, you just feel the stress level kind of just go down one little notch. In fact, what if we all just took a deep breath together today? Could we just do that? The deep breath and exhale together. Ready? Here we go. Just, it just takes it down a notch, right? We become so accustomed to busyness and to noise and to uh, stimulation and distractions that many of you even to this day, <laughs> you can't even sleep without some noise. If you're one of those people that you have to have a noise generator or a fan going or something, otherwise you can't sleep. Let me see your hands. Look at that. Isn't that incredible? Listen, how bad off are we that we can't even rest without noise? We can't even sleep without noise. Isn't that incredible? Have you thought about that? And the implications of that? It's very interesting. You know it's bad when we can't even rest without noise. I tell you what, sometimes silence can even be, well, for some of us, like I said, is a, is a good thing and it's something we desire, but silence is just a very powerful thing. In fact, it's used in, in, in sort of almost in torturous ways as well. Did you know that? In our prison system today, we have a thing called solitary confinement. If you're a prisoner, you say, you call it the whole. Man, you don't want to go to the hole. Well, what's so bad about the hole, right? Well, it's quiet. It's silent. No one to interact with. No one to talk with. It's all you have are your own thoughts, your own uh, ideas. And yet that is reserved for some of the most heinous crimes and heinous criminals. So on one end of the spectrum, it, it kind of gives life to us and gives rest to us. If our conversation is with God and if we're seeking him. And yet on the other end of the spectrum, it's literally hell on earth. Isn't that what hell is? When we describe hell in scripture, it's described as a separation from God, an isolation from God. And yet hell on earth could very well be an, an isolation, a solitary confinement. If nothing else, we can't, acknowledge, we can't get away from acknowledging the fact that solitude is very powerful, right? Very powerful, and yet we don't employ it that much in our lives. Uh, this writer, Lisa Gunther from the New York Times, she said, 
There are many ways to destroy a person, but the simplest and most devastating might be solitary confinement. Deprived of meaningful human contact, otherwise healthy prisoners often come unhinged. They experience intense anxiety, paranoia, depression, memory loss, hallucinations, and other perceptual distortions. You know, sometimes to my wife and I, the idea of quiet, just a couple of minutes. And, so, you know, the kids sometimes are playing. And they're always loud. I don't care what they're doing. They're always loud, especially in our living room. But there are these moments here, experience these moments where all of a sudden in the middle of their play, there's just this silence. I don't know they're playing hide-and-go-seek or what's going on, but for whatever reason, it's just this perfect silence. And you don't notice it at first, and all of a sudden you look at each other like, oh, it feels great. It's just this moment. Listen, do you hear that? It's nothing. And, of course, then they start back up again, and then life goes back to normal. But for some of us, we just we ache for that kind of solitude, that silence. And yet on the other end of the spectrum, it's capital punishment in many ways. We get the word solitude from the Greek word eremia. It means a desolate place. It means a wilderness. It's also translated into the word silence. So solitude and silence kind of go hand in hand. Now the thing is, you can have solitude, you can have, sol- you can have solitude, but uh, not without silence. But you can have silence without solitude. In other words, you, you can't get to this place we call solitude without being silent. But if you're just silent, you just turn things off and it's quiet, doesn't necessarily mean you've entered solitude. There's some other things required in that. This quote from uh, one of my favorite authors, he's also a, a proponent for art and beauty, Francis Schaeffer, wrote this in the 60s. He said, no one seems to want and no one can find a place for quiet because when you're quiet, you have to face reality. But many in the present generation dare not do this because of their own basis. Reality leads them to meaninglessness. So they fill their lives with entertainment, even if it's only noise. He wrote that 50 years ago. And just think of all the noise that we've added to our lives since then, right? All the stimulation, all the entertainment that he says. This quote makes me think about, well, as I was reading it, it made me really think about um, social media. Because even though social media doesn't have to, it doesn't necessarily carry a lot of volume or noise with it, it does have a lot of internal noise. It keeps us busy. It keeps our mind racing. It keep us, keeps us comparing our lives with somebody else. What somebody else had for dinner and what we're not having for dinner, they're having lobster, Right? Or how they had such an amazing vacation. We can't afford to go on vacation. It, it, it causes a noise within us, right, that just sort of complicates our lives and stimulates us in a way to where we can't even, we can't even rest. We're in the middle of this series, as Daryl said, called Life. And uh, today our, our message, our, our conversation is about solitude. So... <laughs> As we've been studying the impact of what spiritual disciplines can have in our lives, um, this one's no different. It doesn't just happen by accident. You're not going to trip over solitude, right? We have to make this a priority in our lives. We have to be intentional about the solitude that's going to happen in our lives, or it just won't happen, right? So the message title this morning, it's on the back of your uh, handout there, is Shh. 
However, you may notice on your handout that my wife told me I misspelled it. So today only, thank you, Tim. So today only, we can spell it like it's spelled on the thing, okay? I mean, it's not, I'm sure it's not in the dictionary. Come on, give me a break. All right, so this is what it stands for. Shh. The first S is this, stillness. Stillness. The second S is this, silence. The third S is this, solitude. And then the H at the end is so that we can hear God. Stillness, silence, then we can get to solitude to hear God. Can't experience solitude unless we're silent, and we won't be silent until we're still. So what is it exactly? Well, our, our writer of this book that we've kind of been tracking through in the last uh, messages, The Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard says, In solitude, we purposefully abstain from interaction with other human beings, denying ourselves companionship and all that comes from our conscious interaction with others. We close ourselves away. We go to the ocean, we go to the desert, the wilderness, or to the anonymity of the urban crowd. This is not just rest or refreshment from nature, though that too can contribute to our spiritual well-being. Solitude is choosing to be alone and to dwell on our experiences of, of isolation from other human beings. But don't make the mistake of thinking that all I need to do is just get away from people, right? If I can just get away from people, then I can enter solitude. No. In fact, this writer, one of my favorite writers, Wayne Cordero, says, there is a difference between isolation and solitude. They may contain similar characteristics, but in reality, they're worlds apart. Listen to this. Solitude is a chosen separation for refining your soul. I love that. It's a chosen separation for refining your soul. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the first. Do you have solitude in your life? Because unless you make it happen, you don't. It's something we have to force ourselves to do. Well, solitude is on this ancient list of disciplines this morning and has been there for a couple of thousand years or more because it's utilized in Scripture, right? Why would we, why would we think solitude is a good discipline for us to employ in our own lives? Well, we see it in Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament in characters like Elijah, uh, Moses, Abraham, we see it in the New Testament. We see Jesus use solitude a lot. And I'm going to go through some of these examples in a second. We see Peter. We see, we see Paul. All of these folks using solitude in their relationship with God. Listen, this is what it boils down to. If Jesus needed solitude, do you think you might? Well, but I'm, <laughs> you don't know how busy I am, right? Listen, Jesus had three years to create a movement that would change the world. And yet he had time for solitude. I think you might as well. Look at this scripture in Mark 135. It says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This was his custom. And so in the New Testament, we see over and over how he goes someplace that's secluded or solitary. But I started thinking, what, what are the reasons maybe? Like if we, if we started looking in those moments of Jesus' life where he decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to do some solitude. I'm going to go spend some quiet time with God. What were the things that were going on in his life that maybe made him do that? I looked at a few of those. Matthew 4, 1 through 2. He does this. This is the, this is the point right before he goes into uh, his fasting into the wilderness. He chooses to go into this solitary place. And he does this. 
right after he's baptized. John the Baptist baptizes him. And it's kind of the demarcation of the beginning of his ministry. So Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm going to dedicate my ministry. I'm going to dedicate these three years, important three years. I'm going to start by going into solitude, a place where no one else is. In dedication, we see Jesus going to solitude. Luke 6, 12, we see him going to solitude because he needs to make some very important decisions. He went up onto a mountain right before he chose all the 12 of his disciples. Do you think those, tw- those were 12 important decisions? <laughs> yeah. And so he goes to a mountain, to a secluded place, to pray before he makes all these decisions. Matthew 14, 10, we see Jesus gets the news that his dear friend, John the Baptist, the one that had baptized him, has been beheaded. And he's in grief. He's in mourning. And so the Bible says in John 14 that he goes and he finds a little boat. And he goes off into a secluded place so that he can grieve. We see in Matthew 14, uh, in the same chapter in verse 23, he's had a huge crowd come to hear him preach. So that they can be healed. There's several reasons why they're pressing in on him. And the Bible says he sends them away. Go away. He sends them away, and after he does that, he goes into solitude, almost as if to say in a a humble, humility sort of way, in a resetting of his soul sort of a way, he goes into solitude. Luke 5.15, it says that he goes off into the wilderness to pray as he does this often. In that scripture, it says this is something Jesus just does. This is a part, this is a rhythm, this is a pattern of Jesus' life that we see over and over again. He goes to solitude and spends time in quiet. It's important to him to reset, calibrate his soul. And we even see in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's a place where I've had the privilege to stand. It's just kind of on an incline, as you'd you'd imagine, sort of the base of a mountain. And it used to be a, a grove of olive trees, and there's still some there. It overlooks the city of Jerusalem, just a perfect view of the the wall of Jerusalem and all these tombs and all of the whole city. And yet Jesus takes his disciples there and he says, you stay here, right, in Matthew 26. You stay here. I'm going to go over here where you're not. (laughs) And I'm going to pray. Just stay here and pray. And it's in that moment where Jesus goes over to pray that he's so stressed He's feeling the great weight of what his assignment is in these moments, and he begins to to sweat drops of blood. And he says, and he cries out from a very uh, vulnerable moment, says, Lord, if this is not your will, take this cup from me, right? It was in solitude that he was having that conversation with God. So even in trials, we can go to solitude and seek the Lord to help reset our souls, I told you at the beginning of the series, I'm not a master of these disciplines. <laughs> in fact, this has been really good for me. Uh, I even got an email this week that was very encouraging to my soul. I'll be honest with you. Uh, one of you sent me an email just saying that these disciplines have changed your life. And that's the power of what they can do. These disciplines can change us. And so this week, uh, I actually wanted to step into one of the to one of these disciplines, and I've done this with each week, but uh, I'll tell you about my experience in just a minute, but I just started thinking, Lord, I don't, I don't do this enough. How, how, do, how do you find solitude? Well, this is the first step. You have to get still. You have to get still. Look at this in Psalm 4610. It's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Very small, 
and I want us to read it together. Is it on the screen? Psalm 4610. Can we just read that together? Here we go. Be still and know that I am God. One more time, just as the body of Christ together. Be still and know that I am God. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Just be still and know that I'm God. I love the way Eugene Peterson breaks it down and breaks, brings it to a little bit more kind of a relevant understanding for us. Uh, this is Eugene Peterson uh, in the message. Step out of the traffic. <laughs> Take a long, loving look at me, your high God. Above politics, above everything. Have you ever felt so crazy? Your life is so crazy, so hectic, so chaotic. It feels like you're just in rushing traffic. You know, our traffic can be crazy, but I don't know if you've ever been to a, another country like Vietnam or Cambodia or India or someplace where you can die real quick in traffic. You know what I mean? Like you're like, you're Frogger in these, you know? It's really a crazy situation in some of these third world countries. It's crazy. My wife and I sometimes feel like God, it's not just that we're trying to make our way through the traffic. The reality is, it's already run us over. We're so exhausted. We're so tired. It feels like, you know what, we can't catch up. We're worried about finances here this one day. And then we feel like maybe one day we kind of got that sort of in a good place. And then we just want to rest. Well, then we feel guilty because the house is not picked up. Right? And then we spend the day, we'll get the house picked up. And then we feel guilty because we haven't worked in the garage it's one thing after another, and sometimes it doesn't just feel like you're trying to, the need to get out of traffic, it feels like you've already been run over by it. And I love this definition of solitude that Peterson says, take a long, loving look at me, your high God. Your high, why is he a high God? He says it in the next little bit. It's because he's over everything. And I don't know if you're like I am, but politics right now just stress me out. And I love the fact that he added that. Isn't that interesting? In the message, above politics, above everything, take a long, loving look at me, your high God. See, our chaotic, noisy, busy, social media-filled lives cause us the inability to be present, to be here, to be aware to know the true condition of our souls, or even have a chance to even hear God. One of my friends used to say, wherever you are, be all there. You ever heard that? Wherever you are, be all there. And he used to put it in in the most annoying times, like at a restaurant or something, I'd be looking at my phone, checking something, he'd say, wherever you are, be all there. I don't know that we know how to be all there sometimes. But it's a good encouragement to us. How do, how do we get still? Well, it's real simple. You just stop moving. <laughs> you just stop moving. You, you stop striving. See, moving is physical. Striving is something internal. You stop moving. You stop striving. You stop doing. You just stop everything until your body is at rest. But that's hard for many of you, isn't it? Many of you love to go. You're just going. Busy, I just stay busy. But here's the danger. <laughs> For those of us that just love to stay busy, 
there's a chance that your busyness is a way to avoid something broken in your soul. So if I can just stay busy enough, I don't have to pay attention to what's broken in my heart and my soul and my life. There's some wound, some struggle with significance, something broken that seems only subdued by diverting attention from whatever this is to whatever that is. Let me just do that. I have an amazing story in scripture that I want to bring your attention to this morning of that lady. She loved being busy. Her name was Martha. We read it in Luke 10, 38. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving And she went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Now listen, anytime Jesus or anytime in the the ancient world or or, uh, in the Middle East, somebody says something twice, that means shut up and listen. That that means I'm trying to get your attention. I'm going to say your name twice. Martha, Martha. You're anxious And you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever noticed busy people? I mean, they just, you know what I'm talking about. And listen, this is not a time to be, okay? No no elbow hits over here today. Busy people want everybody to be busy. Have you noticed that? They want everybody to be busy. And if you're not busy, then they want you to be punished for not being busy. <laughs> I even punish myself. Sometimes, you know, I may have just finished the dishes, and I come sit on the, in the, in the chair or the couch and, and probably have my phone in my hand. And sometimes Lori just gets busy. She'll start doing stuff, and then all of a sudden I kind of look over. <laughs> and the, you know, the whole thing is, is there an expectation that I need to be doing what you're doing, right? You, even you just feel suddenly the shame, like, Maybe I need to get up again and whatever the case may be. I love this this story because Jesus makes it so clear. Listen, it's not about what you accomplish for me. It's not about what you accomplish for me. He sees through the busy to the cause of the busy, doesn't he? He sees through it. He says, you're anxious and you have a troubled heart. I love that. He goes right to the issues. He could have said, hey, slow down, Martha. Hey, chill out, Martha. Join us, Martha. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He goes right at the issue. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled. He goes right at it. He says, you know, Mary's Mary's being with me is better than your doing for me. Mary's being with me. In fact, he says in Scripture, it's necessary. There's one thing that's necessary. And then he says, Mary's being with me is better than your doing for me. And yet many of us are just human doings instead of human beings. First thing we have to do for solitude is be still. The second thing, we've got to be silent. Psalm 62.5 says this, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is in him. 
you know, there's a whole group of people that struggle being still, and there's a whole other group of people that struggle being silent, right? Still no elbow jabs here. You know what I'm talking about. You go to the movie, right? And then everything's just quiet and still, and somebody can't shut up, right? You're just like, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Some people struggle with, with either situation, but here's the truth about silence. Silence reveals our inner realities. Don't you think about that? Silence reveals our inner realities. If we can just make enough noise, it's the same sort of thing as the busy deal over here. Instead, if we can just make enough noise in our own minds, we don't have to pay attention to what's going on in our souls. But when we get truly silent, all of a sudden it reveals who we are, how we think, the depth or the shallowness of our relationship with Jesus. The wounds that are present. Which idols compete for our worship, right? What fantasies encourage us to escape those inner realities? When we get quiet, all this stuff begins to come up. It's the truth of who we are. And most of the time, it is very ugly. But for God alone, oh my soul, wait. Wait in silence. Here's the other thing about being silent. If, if we don't make time for silence in our lives, there's a good chance we won't hear God. I love the story of Elijah in 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. You may remember, I, I love this story. It's one of my favorite. Elijah just seems bad to the bone to me. I don't know why. But Elijah's up on this mountain, Mount Carmel, right? And he's challenged hundreds of prophets of Baal to a showdown. Remember? You remember this story? And he says, well, go ahead and let your prophets pray to your gods and, and let's see if, if your gods will bring fire and, and, you know, consume this altar. Well, of course, nothing happened. They're dancing around. They're doing their stuff. They're cutting themselves. And Elijah's just so confident in who his God is. Well, then it, it comes Elijah's turn, right? And Elijah prays, and sure enough, God brings fire from heaven consumes the altar, the water that the, had been poured on the altar, all the water in the trench around. I mean, amazing. And then they kill all those prophets. You think Elijah's feeling pretty confident about himself? You, th- you think he would, right? Look what God has just done, and I had the faith to believe him. Yet he gets word that Jezebel says, you know what you just did to those people? I'm going to do to you. A note from one woman sent him running. Sent him into such a deep depression, he ran into a cave. And while he's in the cave, he becomes so depressed. The cave is solitude. The cave is his time to be alone. But even in depression, listen, some of you may struggle with depression. I encourage you to find solitude. Don't find isolation. Find connection with God in solitude. He's so depressed that he becomes suicidal. Elijah becomes suicidal. And yet our loving and beautiful Lord cares for his every need. He feeds him. He encourages him. He says, I love the way. I just hear the Lord in this soft voice saying, where are you at? What are you doing right now? And eventually he says, Elijah, stand up. Come to the edge of this cave. Stand here on the edge of this cave. And Elijah's standing. And all of a sudden a great wind blows past the cave. And the Bible says God wasn't in the wind. And then an earthquake begins to shake the whole cave and everything around it. And the Bible says, God wasn't in the earthquake. 
And then a fire comes by. God wasn't in the fire. And the Bible says, in a still small voice, he speaks in this lovingly directive way. And he tells Elijah everything he needs to do. The next step. You know, a friend of mine told me one time, if you're struggling, if you're depressed, if you're in a place where your soul is so broken, sometimes the only thing you can do is the next best thing. So the next best thing for you may be to go take a shower. Or the next best thing for you may be to go find some solitude. Or to call a friend. Or to read some scripture. Or to sing a song. What's the next best thing? Well, you know what? God told Elijah what the next best thing was, but he wouldn't have heard him if he wasn't quiet. He wouldn't have an opportunity to hear from the Lord if he hadn't made the choice to be in this cave and to listen. But God spells out for him in 1 Kings 19 what the next best thing is for his life. If we're not willing to be silent and force the chaos and this noise of our lives to stop, we may miss the very directives of God. Would you like to have just sort of a list of what God wants you to do next? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? How do you know he doesn't have that for you? Let's get quiet. Let's get still. Let's enter solitude so that we can hear exactly what God wants of our lives. Listen, it's easy to quiet things on the outside. I know this, right? You mute the TV. You silence the phone. (laughs) That's outside. Those are external volumes and voices it's a lot harder to silence the internal voices and the internal noise. But when you can force all of that to quiet down and sit still for God alone, because it won't because you want to, trust me. For God alone, when you do that, you wait in silence and you put your hope in the Lord. Psalm 4610. We read it just a minute ago. Be still and know that I'm God. I was thinking about this verse. And I'm just like, God... I get being still. What is it about knowing you? How how do I know you? Yes, I can take this moment and I can take a long, loving look at my high God. And that helps me in solitude. But what is this about knowing? I just wanted to have a deeper understanding of what God was saying. And it was in solitude I was praying this prayer. And the Lord reminded my heart of Adam and Eve. So many things can go back to Adam and Eve, right? And I'm thinking back to Adam and Eve in the garden. And what did, what did they want? When they took that fruit and they, they fell and they sinned, what did they want? They wanted to be like what? God. They wanted to be like God. They wanted control. They wanted control. And it was like the Lord was saying, when you come to solitude and you're still, be still, no, you're not in control. You could almost read this verse like this. Be still and know that you are not God. Be still and know I'm God. I'll be honest with you. Like I said, I did this this week. I never want to ask you to do anything I'm not willing to do myself. And God is growing uh, me in these disciplines. And so this week, by the way, this was a crazy, still is, crazy week busy week. I went to a place, had some wilderness, had a field. It wasn't outside of the city, it was in the city. I pulled my truck up and I went out into the field and out to the side of the wilderness. And I want to tell you kind of about my experience. So the first thing you have to know is I hate snakes. 
I hate them. So I, I'm looking for a place to sit down, and I see all these big rocks, and I go to the rocks. Of course, naturally, any smart person would look around the rocks to find snakes, and I did. So I'm, I'm inspecting all but lifting and desanitizing, right? There's no snakes. Go away. And so no snakes I didn't find, so I sat down, and I just felt so fidgety. I kept looking at my truck like it was going, what are you doing? Come on back. And I just sat there so fidgety, and I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't settle. And I just I kept forcing myself. I sat there and looked at my watch, and I said, you're going to sit here for an hour. You're going to sit here for an hour. And I forced myself, and so I began to feel my body settle. I got still. And immediately my mind started going, do you realize how busy we are? This is not the week for this, right? This is not the time for this. And then I realized, okay, I want to be still and then I want to get silent. And so I close my eyes and I'm, I'm, I'm finally settled and I close my eyes and all I can hear is traffic and construction. Cars and construction, cars and construction. And then all of a sudden I just begin to pray, Lord, help me to silence my mind. And it was amazing. All of a sudden the cars and the construction begin to, to lessen and out of nowhere I began to hear birds and insects. It was incredible. It was like somebody was mixing the soundboard of my brain. They brought down the cars and the construction, and they turned up the nature and the beauty of God's creation. And immediately, so then I, it's getting a little more quiet, a little more, okay, this is, okay, I see where we're going here, okay. Focus my mind. Immediately, all the things I have to get done. It's like this big, huge list in my brain. I can't think about anything else. You've got to do all these things. I just kind of swipe it away. Next thing, I, I begin to feel all these disappointments from my past. And I'm just trying to, again, just trying to experience, what, what is this? I started to feel all these disappointments from my past, things I was disappointed about. And then right after that, I started thinking about revenge for the disappointments in my life. And then I started thinking about fantasies and weird narratives in my mind. And I'm forcing my brain back. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Forcing it back, and then the next thing happened. <laughs> My brain said, let's pray. Come on, let's pray. And I realized, praying is, listen, praying is always a good thing, right? However, that verse in Psalm says, wait in silence. And my mind was going, I'm uncomfortable, so let's pray. We know how to do that. Let's pray. And I felt like my soul was just saying, sit in the uncomfortable moment of disappointments and weird narratives and brokenness of your soul. And I forced myself to quiet all the noise. I remember I looked at my watch and I went, it's only been 15 minutes. I couldn't believe it. And literally I felt my life trying to pull me back to the routine and out of, out of this moment and back into the rut of what I was used to. This neat thing happened. Again, every moment I'm, I'm in battle with my mind, in battle with my heart. And I finally come to this place where I feel like I'm probably the most settled and most at peace. I'm looking in the sky and trying to wait to pray just to experience all that God has for me. And all of a sudden this insect comes by, beautiful little green and yellow insect, tiny. And I see it fly by and, of course, it's like squirrel. And so my... My mind jumps onto this little insect, and I just watch it, and I follow it down, and I'm watching it fly. And out of nowhere, the Lord says, do you have any idea the engineering 
the mathematics, the architecture of what it takes for such a thing to fly. This little insect reminded me of how great creator God is. And in that moment, I just, everything got quiet. And I realized I can be still and know that I am not God. He is. He's creator God. And I finally felt like I got to that point of what he was trying to say. Wait for God alone and be still and know you're not in control, I am. Because anybody who goes and sits in a field for an hour is not doing it for themselves. In fact, it was torturous in ways. But it was through forcing my heart and my mind to be quiet and be still that God brought me to himself and reminded me of who he was and who I wasn't. Listen, you think if Jesus needed solitude, we do? We have to stop our striving. We have to stop our doing. We have to focus on being with God. We have to quiet the noise of our lives and all around us and even most importantly within us. And we have to commune with God. We have to listen to the things that his spirit reveals in our soul. And you know what's so good? In those moments as God's revealing these ugly things, sin and struggle and question and doubt, write them down. Or even deal with them as they come up. Lord, I'm disappointed about this thing in my family. I'm disappointed about uh, my past. I'm disappointed, Lord, in myself or my friend or whatever's happened. Would you help me to let that go? Because, you know, some of you just need to forgive some of you need to go to that very broken place in your soul and deal with the thing that has broken the rest of your life. But we just stay busy and we stay loud and we won't deal with what's broken. And yet in solitude, those are the moments that bubble up and the Spirit of God says, bring it to me. Lay it at my feet. Deal with it so that you can move on and you can have this abundant life that I want to give you. Some of you feel stuck. You feel stuck in some addiction. You feel stuck in some relationship. You can't let go of something in your past. Find some solitude. Get still, get silent. Wait upon the Lord and see if he doesn't speak to your heart. See if he doesn't reveal these things that need attention. And deal with them by his grace. Deal with them by his grace. Only in solitude can we reset recalibrate our souls. Only then can we be still and truly know who's God. Pray with me. Father God, Lord, I even just sense in my spirit there's so much brokenness in us. We're unaware of what's broken even. God, we, we're so filled with stimulation and entertainment and noise and clutter that we, we require more of it even to rest. God, with, would you just challenge us to find places and moments of quietness and stillness and sustained uncomfort so that we can find you and we can hear exactly what it is you want to do in our hearts, in our past in our lives. Lord, as we lay those things down and we seek you as the one and only true God, 
Would you give us the peace that passes all understanding? Would you help us to truly know we're not in control, you are. You and you alone are God. And for God alone, we will be still. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.